Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladles and Jelly Spoons boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, part of the amazing FBA suite of podcasts. And this one is geared to the needs of six and seven figure Amazon sellers. Today, I'd like to welcome Isaac Coolman of Real Coaching. Isaac has set up Real Coaching for simply this purpose, get real people, real businesses to achieve real freedom. Specifically, of course, it's focused on Amazon FBA private label, exactly the same focus as we have on the podcast. So great match. Isaac, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to help, you know, simplify this stuff because a, a lot of content out there is very confusing mm-hmm. and it's going to be, uh, I think my, it's always my job to try to make this as easy to understand as possible. Yes. I like that already. So the title of this uh, episode I'll put is simplifying metrics and driving profit. Two very good things and very linked, I guess. So first of all, just tell me what your view is of this topic why is this important to the listeners at all why should we bother staying tuned to this there are many podcasts out there what gives this one the right to life for another 10 minutes it's actually kind of funny because i was literally just thinking about how to explain this to people as an as a topic when they don't quite get what metrics really stand for or what they mean and i was thinking about it again this morning and i actually talked to my business partner kirsty about this and i said you know like when you go to pick up the newspaper and you throw your back out or you lift up something really light and you hurt yourself and you're like, well, it, it obviously wasn't the newspaper that was the cause of, of, you know, you picking that up and hurting your back. The newspaper isn't heavy. That wasn't the reason why you blew out your back. It's because you've been doing improper, you know, lifting techniques for years and your back is now misaligned or the, the, the muscles and the joints are all, you know, deteriorated or whatever. That's like what it is in the Amazon business. When all of a sudden you realize there's a really big problem in your business And you never knew how to diagnose those symptoms along the way to stop yourself from blowing out your back, or in this case, going broke or quitting your Amazon business or losing, you know, a ton of money or getting shut down or whatever. So if you know what to track, know how they actually affect each part of your business, you can actually diagnose those problems and fix them and be proactive versus just sitting there trying to think, oh, you know, I'll wait for a big problem and then retroactively try to put that fire out, which never seems to work. And if it does, it has a lot of more uh, a lot more complexity to it. You have to like go out and do a lot of things that you probably would, don't even know how to do. And you have to learn how to you know fix all those problems afterwards. Where is if you would have just known, Hey, if, if I track these things all along, I can probably save myself a lot of time, hassle and, and effort and probably have a m- much better smooth running business that drives profit more consistently and easier than if I was just trying to wait until something bad went wrong, you know, happened. I like that a lot. And I think, uh, 
couple of things that strike me. The first thing is I like the proprioception kind of metaphor because uh, I've used to work a lot with singers and I've been a musician a lot of my life and musicians are great at injuring themselves. And then they are very aware of technique. And I can see the yeah. drum kit behind you. Very easy to give yourself RSI, carpal tunnel with with drums, the same as piano. My, my wife's a pianist and a lot of yeah. pianists blow themselves up. And I think that with a with a business, the idea of proprioception, which by the way means awareness of different parts of your body in relation to each other. So if you've got a really... Yeah you know terrible pianist and like my wife and i have taught many terrible little pianists over the decades they just have no sense of where their thumb is relative to the keyboard and they sort of bash at the wrong notes and i guess that that for me it feels like an, an entrepreneur's feel for the business needs to tie in with the metrics in other words it's not either or it's both it's having a feel for something feels wrong in the business here and kind of getting that sense a little bit like in the car if you notice your engine screaming and then you look down and you can see the speedometer's gone to 50 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour limit that there's a there are two clues aren't there and i feel what you're trying to do is get back to something you know being in touch with your business on a day-to-day yeah. basis as opposed to when it screams at you you notice and yeah. then the rest of the time you're unaware is, is that a reasonable way of putting it yeah exactly you don't want to wait till the check engine line comes on you want to get those <laughs> monthly routinely or, yeah. you know checkups or you know go go in and get your uh, oil changed relatively often every every six months or whatever so yeah it's the same yeah. exact thing but you know there's ways that you can do it yourself and then there's ways that you can actually get help with that as well so like yeah. you can do it up to a certain point yourself and then maybe you need some kind of actual professional doctor or mechanic to kind of put you on the right make sure that everything's going the right way kind of maybe give you a bit more advice beyond what you know but the first thing is, is you got to understand what these things are doing if you don't then you're in trouble like if you don't know what drives conversion in your business if you don't know what drives the clicks and sessions in your business you will struggle to get sales and you'll struggle to understand how to launch products properly ongoing. You might get lucky one time, but yeah. that doesn't mean you're going to be able to replicate that because you might not know exactly what to do. Absolutely. And as they say, you know, luck is, is not a strategy. Hope's not a strategy, what they say yeah. Marines isn't, but luck isn't a strategy either. I mean, like, you know, that's just, it's also, if you have good luck and you know very well at some level that it's luck, it's going to make you very nervous about your business, probably for good reason, but it's not a good yeah. state to be in. You need to address that. So exactly. let's tell, let's get a, let's check in a little bit with your background then. So obviously you're saying very sensible things about this stuff. What's your background in relationship to retail? Yeah, so I've been working retail since, well, not anymore, but I, I worked retail from about 1998 until 2015. So however many years that is, 17 years. 17 or so, uh, yeah, 18, yeah. Yeah, yeah 17, um, yeah, that's a long time. So yeah, I was working retail, starting grocery actually, uh, worked all the way up through you know movie theaters and some other stuff, but uh, actually was doing really well at a grocery store and then decided to quit my job because I was working way too many hours. Moved down to Las Vegas, where I live now. Ended up working for a year at, at a Nike store here and just said, you know what? I'll probably find a better job. Well, unfortunately, that ended up being the recession year of 2008, I believe. And so I couldn't get a job. It took me like three months to find a job. Meanwhile, I was like broke and really just like struggling to do anything. Ended up taking a job in a movie theater, which led me to getting to a job at a go-kart facility, which was across the street. And that's where I kind of started figuring things out for myself because I started to say, you know what? I actually need to figure out why I'm not making it easier for myself to do better in life. And, uh, you know, I was like working not quite minimum wage, but not very, I mean, $30,000, $35,000 a year in like 2010, somewhere around there, 2011. And I was like, that's not enough to really move my life forward. So that was right around when I was turning 30. And I was like, this isn't going to be what I want to do for my life. So started finding new ways to kind of move up. 
So I started working at this go-kart facility, which actually happens to me, my wife's godfather's business. Now, I didn't meet my wife until after I started working there. I actually met her a month or right as soon as I started working there. But I started dating her about a month after I started working there, which then caused her godfather, who owns the business, to not be very happy. He, he actually told me I need to go find another job and he, I can't work there because I'm too old for his goddaughter. Uh, I was 10 years older than her. Or I still am. Well, I was almost 11 actually. So yeah, <laughs> he's probably right. I probably am too old, but uh, we have a kid and we've been married for five years. We've been together for 10 now. So then I was working through this business and I was starting to see things that I could improve in his business. And this is just kind of a culmination of all the years and all the different trainings I've had in other retail, knowing metrics, customer service, and all this other stuff. So at one point I asked him, you know, what's going on with this other facility? Cause we had two facilities in town at the time. And there was this other facility that just never made money. It was basically just set up. So that way nobody else in the city could set up another indoor go-kart facility with all electric vehicles. So it was kind of like this, some sort of like clause that he had that basically no one in Las Vegas could set up a similar track. The problem was it was losing about 1500 to $2,000 every single month. Cause it wasn't bringing in enough revenue. So from there, I basically said, okay, well, doesn't, shouldn't it be making revenue? Shouldn't it be making profit? And I, I started to think about how was it, why was it not making money and how could possibly I make it money? Everybody said it was impossible. It's not a facilities pointless. Like it's not ever going to make money. Of course, when I hear that, I'm like, well, challenge accepted. Let's see what's going on here. So I started looking into the actual metrics and now I had to ask, I was like, Hey, I need to see the, the profit. I need to see the, the business expenses. I need to see it all. So that way I can help you. And so I was the operations manager there for about a year. It took me a few months to kind of get understanding what was happening. Kind of got some people like understood some from the customer's angle, what was going on. They were like, Hey, it's a really cool facility. We just need to get more people in here. And I was like, yeah, I agree. So I couldn't really drive people because I knew that what would happen is if I asked to drive traffic, which would be advertising. That would be met with some, well, no, because we've already tried that or some excuse, right? So I was like, okay, I'm not even going to ask for more, more traffic. I'm not going to ask for more people to show up. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the people that show up to essentially purchase more. And that seems like a really tough concept. And it is usually. However, when I started looking into why people weren't actually buying more, it was because of what was being said at the, the front counter. So everybody that came in, I looked through the metrics and almost everybody, like 99% of people would only buy one race. And I was like, well, when you go to like an amusement park or someplace fun, you want to be there for like an hour or two hours and have a lot of fun, right? That's why you go. So I, I went to Brad, his name is, and I was like, Brad, do you like go-kart? And he was the owner. And he was like, yeah, that's why I grew, built this business, right? Like everybody loves go-kart racing. And I was like, yeah, of course. So do I. Why would you come into a go-kart facility and spend 20 bucks and leave? And he's like, well, that's all people want to pay. And I was like, that's not true. Like they're coming there, not knowing even what the price is, but they know that they want to race go-karts. So I said, okay, I'm going to dig into this. So I went up to the front counter and I just started listening to what all the, the customer service representatives were doing. And they're saying stuff like, Hey, welcome to the facility. Can I interest you in a race today? And I was like, or they would say, can I get you in a race today or something like that? So it was just pretty much offering one race. And then when the person responded, it was almost always, yeah, sure. How much is it? Like the first thing that comes out of their mouth is what's the price. And then they're like, it's 20, $25, something like that. And they're like, oh, well that's expensive for one race. And I agree for one race and only like seven to eight minutes of like racing, that's kind of a lot. So instead of doing that, I said, okay, let's erase that. Cause what I've been doing the whole time is saying, can I interest you in a three race package today, which includes a t-shirt, 
a three race package. And then we basically do a, a different type of format in the third race where they can actually race for position instead of a time race. So everybody really likes that. And it was like 40 bucks for that. So it's like double the price, but it's, in, it's essentially like triple the experience. Plus you get a t-shirt. So as soon as I started doing that, we jumped from something like six, like are our, our, the most three race packages we ever sold in a month was like six ever. And I looked it up because I was like, what's the most we ever did? It was like six. That first month we did like 30 and I was okay. Okay. So we're on to something. So we actually started getting closer to a profit. We started getting close to break even. And so the next month I said, okay, I need $50 to incentivize our customer service representatives to go after this. So I'm going to say, you got $50. If we do a hundred, we're also going to have a pizza party. We're going to do go-kart racing after hours. And we're going to watch a movie on the projection screen inside the building after hours. So it's like a communal thing for our whole, whole uh, store to really get behind. So the first month we did that, they crushed it. They got 135. We actually broke profit by $6,000. We were plus $6,000. First time that ever happened. Next month was, so that was a December. Next month was January. And everybody's like, oh, well, you can't do that again. The only reason you got 6,000 plus was because it was December and people were buying, you know, gifts for everybody. It's like, okay, so January came, we did it again. Six, we actually got almost the exact same amount. I think it was like 130. So 6,000 plus in profit again. Next month came February, shorter month. We still got like 14,000 plus or 12,000 plus, something like that. And we were still hitting well over 100. Next month, March uh, came and we actually did $30,000 in profit. So just by understanding what the metrics were, why they weren't happening, and then understanding how we could actually improve that by changing one thing, literally one thing, and then incentivizing that, that company was profitable every single month from there until I quit. And then after I stopped working there, apparently they switched back to their old hat, their old <laughs> habits. And essentially like a year later, a year and a half later, they closed that facility. But I was like, I just gave you the process of how to make this successful. And they didn't want to keep doing it. Amazing. So let's just draw a few general business uh, lessons in there because people might be saying, well, why are we talking about go-kart facilities in Las Vegas? I don't run that well. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> try and learn generalized business lessons is the main thing yeah. I would say. So I think that particularly if you run your own direct-to-consumer site, there's a heap that you can actually directly apply. I mean, first of all, if you've got anyone doing customer service that has any kind of ability to do sales, by the way, that's a massive gaping hole in most people's business, right? Customer service is a great sales opportunity. Nobody yeah. does that. They train them to shove people away. At best, they feel kind of happy. They never sell them. <laughs> That's a bit of a hint there. But also, yeah. you know, it, the idea that singles don't work and, and, you know, selling packages do in the average order value is that the key metric we're talking here, isn't it? That mm. it, on Amazon, that's harder to do, but obviously you could do bundling. So that immediately you mean instead of selling one, you sell three or two or five and you yeah. can offer them as variations. I've got one um, client in the mastermind. We had a meeting yesterday. They've got 199 different types of effectively variations, not all one listing because that would be a bit mental, but sort of like 30 variations of listing. And that's the online equivalent, right? So yeah. I love that a lot. And as an objective, just increasing that average order value can be the difference between profit and loss. That's the other lesson that I'm taking from that, that it's not yeah. just about, oh, it's a bit extra. It's like, no, without this, your business dies. With it, it lives. It's just that, that critical, right? And yeah. So somehow crazy that they got that exclusivity, which, by the way, is a, is a powerful fence around your business. But if it's a fence around a, a money pit, then it's no use. So those yeah. are the things I'm taking. What What are the other lessons you would take from from your lovely, you know, story that you give yeah, your clients? I mean, what, what first, you have to understand how many people you have, hmm. how many people are buying, what they're buying, and what the value of the of their their purchase is. Right. 
So you'd mentioned a couple of things there that you can do on Amazon. Another thing I think a lot of people don't understand is that you can actually put a promotion on the display of your actual listing. So if you want somebody to buy three versions of your, like three you know, units of your product, you can say, buy three, save 10% and just display that directly on your listing. I actually do this with one, one product. Well, I do it with all my products, but I do it for two just because I'm like, get two, save like five or 10% immediately. And people double that all the time and they can buy five and still save 10%, but it's just like a minimum of two. So I did this on an ice scraper that I sell both in the UK and the US. And I went back and looked at my average order value. So the thing sells for $8 and eight pounds. So it's the same price, just, you know, it's more expensive because of that and everything in the UK. But I went back and looked at my average order value before I did that and after. So my average order value before was $7.99 in both places. Like it was almost never that anybody was really buying two. It was like maybe like $8.19 or something like that. But, you know, selling thousands of this thing is barely over what that, what that budget was. Then I did this promotion. And all of a sudden my average order value is like 960 now because people are buying not just two, but three and four and five. And some people are buying 10, 20, 30 because they're buying it for like a fleet of cars. So we're now seeing a $2 increase for every single order. That's a huge difference in a, in a business because yeah, that's really big profit. I don't have to drive that customer back to it through ads or anything like that. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about something like that is you've got one pick and pack fee. So if somebody goes to the shelves in Amazon and they're going to charge you, you know, what's quite a healthy amount of money, well, unhealthy, depending which side of the equation exactly. on, to go to the warehouse to package it. But you've got to go to the, the bin once to pick up the one pack, the two pack, the three pack, the five pack, all the 20 pack that the fulfillment sees pretty much going to be the same. Maybe got size issues, storage, whatever tweaks, but yeah, it's one piece of work for them. Therefore it's one cost. And that's, that could be really huge. I mean, I used to sell, cause you know, the, the music background, I used to sell music stand lights and really more by luck than judgment i'd got a product which if i got the pricing right and did the pricing tiers i'd sell 50 and one go to a, a choir or an orchestra or whatever and i never yeah. really kind of followed up on that to a great degree but it does mean did mean as long as you got the pricing right there was still profit left or if i just need to sell a break even to, to shift product through if, if it wasn't shifting quickly enough or whatever for cash flow that that was an amazing way of shifting stuff and i think that's really underutilized so i'm really glad to yeah. hear you saying that i um, because also this is the other thing that strikes me and probably taking words out of your mouth here but if you're selling at 7.99 maybe you got two dollars profit if you're selling at uh, nine or 9.60 maybe you've almost doubled your profit it's yeah. not like you've put you 20 percent of your profit right so tell me a bit more about that i mean how do you do you kind of systematically do this across all your clients accounts and your own accounts or what's your sort of approach for getting this average order value number up yeah. So that's, that's the first thing I do. Cause it's the easiest thing to do is set up that promotion code. Right. And if you ever do see somebody buy like 10 units or something like that, you can contact them and just say, Hey, you know, just directly contact that, that, that buyer and say, Hey, I noticed you purchased 10 of, if you have any issues, please contact me. If you need any more, please let me know. Maybe I can get you another discount or something like that. That's you're absolutely allowed to contact a customer on Amazon for a specific reason. In that position, I would say it's probably worthwhile to even if Amazon says maybe you probably shouldn't contact them for that reason, I would say it's still probably worth your while to contact them. Just make sure that they're all okay with everything and that you know every piece that they got was actually functional, nothing was defective or whatever. Hmm. But establishing when when somebody's buying that many units, you know, even five five or more, I'd say you, you know contact them, just see what happens. Half the time they won't respond, but sometimes they will, yeah. and that creates a lifelong customer that you could have just easily like sold ten now. And then the next time they go back, they, they buy a totally different brand because they don't find yours again or something. 
Absolutely. And here's the other thing that strikes me about two things. Number one is that the average order frequency is obviously the other part of the equation, right? So which we don't tend to think about on Amazon. It's like if you're thinking profit, it's already more sophisticated than some people just think revenue, which is easy yeah. to say and hard to do. It's harder to measure, right? But people do get very lazy about measuring profit, which is, I think, lethal. Uh, but the yeah. second thing is average order value. That's even more sophisticated, but yeah. even better is average order value times how often do they buy? Now, what strikes me about these ice scrapers, that sounds like uh, a one and done, you're going to buy it one. It doesn't fall apart normally, or if it does, you get a one-star review. You don't consume yeah. it, right? But things that you people use for business, if they're buying a 10 or 20 or 30, unless you've got 30 cars at home, like your Jay Leno or something, or <laughs> whoever has these things i say that randomly i have no idea if he has that many things but uh, so don't sue me jay if you're listening um <laughs> joking apart that, that's not a consumer that's a business right and the, yeah. the thing about businesses is they buy more cars and they break stuff because they use it all the time so it becomes like a consumable right so i think this is so overlooked so tell me more about how you would go about really making a what seems to a business a consumer one-off sales into receipt repeats for business to business yeah, so I mean, there are tools out there, you know, that that can actually find um, the life. Well, the repeat buyers, I should say. So people who have purchased from you multiple times. I think Managed by Stats does it. I think Jungle Scout might do it. Helium Ten might do it. And there's quite a few of them out there, so you can actually find those people. And if it's just like one here, and then a year later, maybe another one, maybe it's not worth contacting them. But maybe you could. Now you can't get their like physical mailing address, but if you could, that'd be great. You could send them like a little postcard in the mail saying, thanks for sticking with us for the years or whatever, but you can't do that anymore. But if you contact them and say, Hey, you know what? Can you send me your physical address? I'd like to mail you something as a token of my appreciation. They might, they might respond back and say that, or you could say, go to our website and um, I'll kick you another 15% off your next order or something like that. You can't give them the website, but you can say, go to our website, which is on the package or something like that. There's, there's things that you could do. Amazon's not going to necessarily crack down too hard on you unless you're abusing that system. I would say, don't do it all the time for everybody. Do it for the ones that seem like that's a really good reason to, to jump out there and do that. When you're tracking this stuff, you know the lifetime order value, yes, very hard to find on Amazon. It's not as easy as if you're doing it on your own website. It's very easy when you look on your own website. Amazon, I actually don't know of a way to check lifetime order value for a lifetime customer value of, of any customer. But yeah, you can find the repeat buyers through like some of those, what do you call it? Like the, the, the tools out there. Mm. And then you look, see how many they're ordering, you know? Sometimes it's for a school or something, especially if it's a business, that's great because then you can say, hey, you know what? Every single year, you're going to probably need these supplies or mm. you're going to have a budget. So yeah. every single year, I would like to be the person that you come to as a seller and I will keep selling you this amount for every, anytime you can do that. And, you know, look, there's there's ways that you can do this off Amazon where you can say, hey, you know what? We've got our website where, you, you know, you're going to get 15% discount because you're not doing through the Amazon uh, site. Yeah, But you also kind of want some of that ranking from Amazon too. So yeah. depending on how much you get in sales. So like if it's like 10, send them to Amazon. But if it's like 100, yeah, yeah take them to your site. <laughs> it's on your site. Sell yeah. them there because then you'll get way less fees from Amazon, right? Even yeah. if Amazon is the fulfillment center. Like I have a Shopify store that's yeah. connected to my Amazon fulfillment. So anytime somebody buys on my Shopify store, it fulfills from Amazon. So if you do that you, and you send them to your store and you've got like these big orders, these bulk orders, send them to your site. So that way you don't have to pay that 15%. All you got to do is pay the pick and pack fee yeah. and the shipping fee because that's what Amazon's doing for you. They don't charge you for any traffic, which is their 15% commission. So 100%. you can save a lot of money and make more profit that way. 
that's a hundred percent right. And I would say also that the, the primitive version of this was I when I was selling that sort of product uh, on Amazon in the past, and where I didn't have a, a Shopify site, so we had a pretty primitive website. So I wouldn't necessarily send them now either. I'd just say email you know info at you know our company dot com, and then yeah. I'd simply say to them right, just give me your address, and I would just simply send a create a fulfillment order on Amazon yeah. Seller Central. So you get paid exactly what you said. You don't get the fifteen percent commission because they're not making the sale because you are. I mean to buy direct contact. So I think also that. The, the idea that we have to automate everything is completely erroneous because I'm happy to jump on an email that takes me maybe 20 minutes of my time to, to make uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars of profit. That's still a very many hundreds of hours per hour you know payment for me i'm happy to to earn 500 dollars an hour for a bit of manual labor thank you yeah. um why risk losing it by just saying oh I'll just go to our site so like give me the email address and then nurture that relationship it's a business to business sale it's a different rhythm of value right but i just yeah. think a lot of products are business to business ready but people don't treat them that way any like a lot of things i mean i've got a, one of my clients sells cake drums and things like that and and um Obviously, quite a few people do that as a sort of side hustle. So that's kind of becomes business to business for other people. It's a hobby. But anything that could be a hobby could be turned into a business. It could be catering. It, it could be yep. cars. It could be music. You know, I mean, a, a drummer, is, you know, a home drummer is going to use one set of sticks. A professional probably buys a few spares in case they drop them. But, you know, a drum shop's going to buy hundreds of them. So, you yep. know, it's, it's just I, I really like that. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening to today's show with Isaac Coolman of The Real Coaching. I think it's called Real Coaching. That's it. Uh, very simple because uh, he's got a knack for keeping it simple. So I hope you enjoyed today. I think that certainly for those who are new to the space, this will maybe be news and some new input. For a lot of people who've been selling on Amazon for ages, today might have sounded like a very simplistic episode. I don't apologize for putting it out in the 10K Collective podcast. I had a chat to Isaac after the show and we chatted about the fact that although these are simple things to be looking out for, a lot of people in their businesses doing two, even 250000 or more dollars per month or equivalent uh, don't actually do a lot of these things. So my challenge to you is if you're already um, established in an Amazon business and doing tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, are you actually doing these things? Are you checking the conversion rates and really thinking about how to, in this episode, we particularly talked about average order value increase, which is a very simple concept and it's not hard to implement, but actually a lot of people just skip it. It's too basic. And they don't think about it. They just produce another product line, another product line and spend more money on product development. And they don't think about, you've got one product. Could you bundle it into two, three, five, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 pack, depending on the sort of perception of demand you have. And if in doubt, get it bundled you can even get a prep center to bundle this for you if you're producing stuff in china and shipping it to the us and you're based in the uk i'm familiar with that very complex situation the solution is get a prep center to bundle stuff up for you in an acceptable way to amazon and uh, see what bundling opportunities exist there may well be that you can actually make a, a lot more profit a lot more profit uh, because if you're you know running a say 20 percent margin on the single product you may find that the two or three or four pack or whatever it is makes you 40 percent margin so if you can increase that that uh, could really really drive your profits over time 
And uh, I thought that was an excellent, simple, but uh, profound takeaway from today. So don't skip the simple stuff. Make sure if you are learning your craft for the first time, you learn this stuff and build it into your business from the beginning. But if you're already established, don't be such that you ignore the simple learnings because Isaac's really got a, a big background in retail here. And it, this comes from not just the Amazon space, but a lot of situations where he's seen how people miss the opportunity to make profit. And never forget, as I was saying to Isaac Offair as well, cannot say enough profit is the only thing that matters revenue is absolutely meaningless unless you're you know talking about VAT registration levels and then it becomes meaningful but it's sadly not in a good way for you or for boasting and in the bar at Amazon gatherings and that's all well and good but it won't actually pay the rent pay the mortgage off or buy you that lovely Lamborghini if you have your heart set on such a thing so just Make sure you're driven by profit. Forget about revenue. Honestly, it's irrelevant. Revenue targets are just dodgy things in the best of times, but only meaningful if linked to a profit percentage, I would argue. So hopefully that's thought-provoking if you're established and if you're new. This is the basic stuff that you need to get right and build it into your business from the beginning and you'll build a wonderful business for yourself. Thanks very much for listening. And don't forget that if you want to get more free training from Isaac, just go amazingfba.com forward slash go team real, which is uh, our sort of forward uh, link for, for Isaac stuff. www.amazingfba.com forward slash go team real. And you can get free training from Isaac and uh, his team. Uh, a great guy with a very good common sense head on his head, his shoulders, I should say. So thanks very much for listening and speak to you in the next show. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found this show helpful. We've run interactive small group masterminds for six and seven figure Amazon sellers since September 2017. Members report things like I couldn't have done it without you and find each other a great resource, particularly in challenging times. Our biggest seller to date has broken through the eight figures a year mark in 2020. Members of the 10K Collective Mastermind are not newcomers. They sell private label or custom products on Amazon and they make a minimum of about $350,000 a year or £300,000 a year in revenue. In most cases, much higher than that. We're currently running both online and offline versions of the Mastermind. To find out more about that, go to www.theamazonmastermind.com. That's theamazonmastermind.com. Thank you very much for listening to the show.